So last week we were taking a look at the story with Saul and David and how Saul was being given things. These were blessings that were put into Saul's life and it was there to equip him and make him a better king and help him to accomplish what he was, what he was needed to do. But of course the enemy got in because the song was sung. David is slain his tens of thousands and so that caused Saul to have problems. And immediately, as soon as he saw that and he jumped to the conclusion, what more can he have but the kingdom? Assume that David wants the kingdom. Deception slipped in. And from that point on, he looked at David with a, he had an eye for David. He's just watching him because he expected him to do something to take the kingdom away. And even when David proved that he was not after killing him or taking the kingdom from him by sparing his life two times, even though he had factual evidence, he still would not let go of the deception. When we have assumptions that come into our life, the devil can give us deceptions that we have a hard time getting rid of. And most people that have assumptions also have deceptions and see things differently. And you can try and show them the truth and they can't see it. But we're going to be over here in Exodus 24. We're going to start in 24 here first. And I'm just going to make a note for you. Exodus 20. Everybody knows the Ten Commandments, right? Everybody remember the first commandment was? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. First commandment. Very first one. Making sure we get this idea. No other gods before God. They had this in chapter 20. Moses got the Ten Commandments, came on down, gave them the Ten Commandments. They have the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. We're going to read in 24. Verse 1. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning, and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. So we have uh, several of the leaders and 70 of the elders. These are all here with Moses. We're going to continue here in verse 6. Now he, Moses has told them all the words that the Lord has said. said that in verse 3. All the words that the Lord has said, Moses has given them. Verse 6, And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. Who's saying this? He took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of all the people. And they said, that's all the people. All the people are saying, All that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So they heard all the words. They're in agreement that these are good words. And in agreement, we will do it. Verse 8. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to these words. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. Now look at this, verse 10. Watch this. And they saw the God of Israel. They saw the God 
of Israel. And there was under his feet, that's God, as it were a paved work of sapphire stones, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Now who sees this? Moses, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. That's 72 people outside of Moses who saw the Lord. Saw the Lord. Saw him with a sapphire down underneath. Just spectacular looking. Would that have an impact on you as a leader? You've just gone through hearing all the words that you're supposed to do. And you agreed to do it because these 70 elders, they're in the group that says we will do it. And God brings them up, not all the way up the mountain, just partially up and they see the Lord from a distance, not not right there, not like Moses was, but they saw him from a distance and they could see what he was on. They could see him. That would that would impact people, I would think. I know it would impact me. Verse 11, But the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and they drank. Now, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his servant Joshua, and Moses went unto the mountain of God. It would seem that Joshua was in that group. He wasn't mentioned. But Moses and, and Joshua are leaving the group to go up further into the mountain. And he said to the elders, Wait here. For us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. So when he says wait here, they're not waiting on the mountain. They're waiting with Aaron and her. Down with the people. Wait. Don't come up. Don't be going up into the mountain. You all saw God, but don't get a big head about this. You need to be, you need to be down there. So the Lord said, come up. Come up to me on the mountain and be here and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses rode with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. So here's the guys that are going to solve the problem. You got difficulty. Moses is up there. Aaron and her. These are the guys that you go to. Then Moses went up to the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. On the seventh day, he called the Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So get this, Joshua and Moses, they go up in the mountain. They're going up higher than the mountain. It's a big mountain. So they leave the place where they were at with the 70 elders and they saw God and they go up higher and they see the cloud come down on the mountain and they wait for six Days. Now think about this. We can, we can probably relate to this. How many, how many days have you been held up in your home? <laughs> and people are writing all kinds of things on Facebook and other places, you know, talk about all the l- things that they, they, um, don't have to do and they're getting bored and we don't like being at home and uh, we want to go out and do stuff. How many of you want to go out and do stuff, right? We, we, we want to go do some things. So here you got Joshua and Moses. I mean, they're good buddies. But 
hanging out for six days on the mountain. Waiting for what? Waiting for someone to say, come on. We're just waiting. I mean, you're watching the glory of God take over this, this, uh, this mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and covered it six days. And the seventh day, he called the Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. It would seem that 40 days and 40 nights included the six days they were in there uh, waiting at the same spot. I would assume that it, that it does. It doesn't seem to separate it. And the glory of the Lord rested on the mountain. Boy, wouldn't you just like to be on that mountain with the glory of the Lord resting on it? That would be fun. Now, when Moses was sent to Egypt, who was his assistant? Think about this. You can write this in your, your blank right there. When Moses was sent to Egypt, who was his assistant? It was Aaron. Aaron was the assistant. He was giving the excuses and God says, I'm sending Aaron to you. <laughs> He'll do the stuff. So he's got Aaron as his assistant. Who's his assistant now? Joshua. Isn't that interesting? God picked Aaron and sent him to him. But now we got Joshua. It would seem that over the course of the events since the time that they left Egypt to this time here, that even though he is related to Aaron, he has felt more of a kinship with Joshua. And he is entrusted more to Joshua than he has to Aaron. And if he's going to go up on the mountain, he doesn't want his brother Aaron coming. He wants Joshua coming. He was a much, he's a younger man than Moses is. He wants Joshua to come up on the mountain with him. So that's the guy that he picks. So Joshua goes up. He doesn't go all the way up into the, into the cloud, but he goes up with Moses. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up in the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. So his first assistant was Aaron. Now things have switched and he's moved over to Joshua. But there is another name that comes up. That name is Hur. Hur seemed to be a pretty instrumental leader. In fact, it seemed to be Aaron, Hur, and Joshua were the big leaders there. Even though we had some other names that were mentioned. They were the, they were the big ones. Joshua was over the army. Aaron was the high priest. And then her is mentioned in with these guys. Now those are two very prominent positions in the people of Israel. And her is right there. And in fact, in leaving them, Moses uh, trusted them to, to settle anything with Aaron and her. Now her, you remember in, in Exodus chapter 17, he's the guy who supported Moses' hands. Held him up. He... Um, he is here with, with Aaron. We see in Exodus 24. What, when Moses comes down off the mountain, who's he mad with? He's mad with Aaron. And it's interesting to note that he's not mad with her. But we never hear her's name mentioned again. The last time we have her mentioned in the Bible is when Moses leaves him with Aaron. Never hear about him again. 
someone who is so prominent in leadership completely disappears from the word. All right, let's pick up on our, our verse that we want. This is Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, when does an assumption come about? An assumption comes when we don't know something. And we assume facts, not in evidence. <laughs> As a term may go. We assume things to, uh, to connect the dots. So, we don't have understanding here. They said, we do not know what has become of this Moses. Now, it says that, verse 1 here, that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. Now, we read the account when Moses had gone up, got the Ten Commandments, and came back down. We read the account where he gave all that to the people. We read the account where he took the 70 elders and, and a few others, and they went up, and they saw God. And then we saw that God says, all right, now you come on up the rest of the way, you and Joshua. And then the rest of them went down. In all that, that discussion, does Moses say when he's coming back? If you don't tell anybody when you're coming back, can you be delayed? Now see, back when we were looking at Saul, Saul had Samuel's word, I'll be here in seven days. Now he went right up to the edge, but he still got there within the seven days. And he got nervous, of course, and he made the sacrifice. And he said that he delayed. He didn't say he didn't delay. He said at the end of at, at seven days. And it wasn't seven days just yet. So he still had time. But there's no no days on here. He didn't say seven days. He didn't say 10 days. He didn't say 20 days. He didn't say 30 days. He didn't say 40 days. He didn't say how many days he was going to be there. He just said, we're going and we're going to come back. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed, in order for the people to see that Moses delayed, someone has to make the assumption that he's late. That he's not returning when he should. Something has to happen. So there are people in this group. And when we get to the end here, I'll show you how we know it. There are people in this group who are not thrilled to serve God. They're not thrilled to have the setup that they do. They don't like having a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. Because they cannot control the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They are at the mercy of the pillar. When the pillar would get up, they would have to get up. When the pillar would stop, they would have to stop. And they're not necessarily liking this. We've got to come up with a plan. We've got to come up with a way to get the dependency on the pillar out and something else in. And so they've had a plan, they've had a, a thinking here in the background. 
And here we got an opportunity. You know, as uh, certain people say in politics, never let a crisis go to waste. They created a crisis. There is no approaching enemy. There is no shortage of food. There is no shortage of any supplies. They're not running out of toilet paper. <laughs> they don't depend on bottled water, so they don't have that, that problem either. There's no lines at the Home Depot or the Walmart. Everything they need, they have. There is absolutely no crisis going on at all. So they created one. And look what they say. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us for all, for all, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. How do all the people, we're not, it did not say that the leaders, it said the people. How can you get this group of Israelites to agree on a plan of action? How, how difficult has it been for Moses to get them all on a, on the same page. Whenever you try and people put people in the direction that God wants them to go, you will find opposition. Whenever you want to put them in the direction that Satan wants them to go, there is no opposition. Come on. He's helping them get that way all, all that we can. What you have is a certain number of people, and I could tell you the number, but I'm not going to just yet. There's a certain number of people who have the idea of what we can do. And they have gone out amongst the people and they have sowed a seed. Don't you think Moses should have been back by now? Well, I don't know. He didn't really say, oh, yeah, but, I mean, last, first time he went, how long was he gone? That wasn't that long. And the second time when he went up with the elders, how long was he gone? No, it, did, it wasn't that long. Just a couple of days. We saw him again. Well, it's been a lot more than a couple of days. I think something happened to him. You know how mad God has gotten with us before? Maybe God got mad with him and killed him. And we're left down here and we have no leader. So people begin to think on this. Wow. Now see, they don't offer a solution. They just offer the problem. So then they they come later on and say, you know, I've been thinking about what you said. And yeah, he should have been back by now. I'm really concerned. I wasn't concerned before, but now I'm really worried about this. We have no leader. What if Egypt comes and attacks us again? I mean, Moses was the one who, who got the plan of how to, how to fight that. What if we run out of water again? How's, how are we gonna, how are we gonna solve this? Oh, we got a major problem going on here. But they have no problem. There is no crisis. The glory of God is on the mountain. And the same God who protected them at the Red Sea is the same God who would protect them here. They have no crisis. They have no emergency. But they think they do. It has been created in their minds. We do not know what happened to this Moses. We must take action. And we have to take action now. I've been thinking about that too. You know what? I have a solution. 
why don't we do this instead of depending on that stupid pillar thing? Let's make gods for ourselves. I, I have in my, my image, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of, you know, a calf. Maybe that's some familiarity with that down in Egypt, whatever it might be. But enough of them had this, have this plan and enough of them sold around. Hey, everybody seems to be talking about the calf. Oh, this must be inspired. So they come to Aaron and say, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened, what has become of him. Now you all know this story pretty well. Isn't it interesting? Who do the people think brought them up from Egypt? Moses. When Moses has this discussion with God, who does God say brought them up from the land of Egypt? Remember, your people that you brought up from the land of Egypt. <laughs> Remember, God says it. So, so God says that Moses did it, and the people say that Moses did it. Remember what Moses says to God? Your people that you brought <laughs> out of the land of Egypt. So the people are pointing at Moses. God's pointing at Moses. And Moses is pointing back at God. No, you did it. <laughs> you brought him back. <laughs> kind of interesting to see what's going on there. But the people looked at Moses. He's the one. But you see, he's the one who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. They're not pointing to God. They're pointing to Moses. Because the fact that we have a crisis is because that man who brought us up is the man who's now missing. We do not know what has become of him. We don't know what happened to him. Who knows where he went to? Well, instead of asking God, they have the high priest. They have the human and the thuman. They could be consulting God that way if they wanted to. They have the other uh, other priests that are around, not just Aaron. They could be doing something. Nope. We're just going to make the assumption. Once you make an assumption, deception can come in. Once we made the assumption that Moses has encountered a problem and could be dead. Deception can come in. We need a God. Isn't that deception? We need a God. We have to make our own gods. And Aaron said to them, break off the gold earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters and bring them to me. Now, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to see this, but I'm pretty sure there's a story between verse 1 and verse 2. I do not see, for all the problems that Aaron has, I do not see Aaron going from being high priest for God to making gold, golden calves. Something has to have happened in between. And we got a crowd there. And we know what that crowd can do. They rose up many times to, to come after Moses and to kill him. They probably did the same thing here. And much of the supposition and thought is that these people were stirred up into a frenzy. And when Aaron resisted making these gods, they came at them and her was killed. That's why we never hear of her again. Because he goes from a very prominent place of leadership to completely disappearing. When Aaron dies, we hear about his death. When Moses dies, we hear about his death. When Miriam dies, we hear about her death. We hear nothing about her. 
something happened that got Aaron into this place. In fact, Moses even says this. What did they do to you to get you to do this? He knew Aaron wouldn't just give into this easily. But it sure sounds like he did here. So all the people broke off the gold earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. This is their payment for all their time of, of uh, labor down in Egypt. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Wait a minute, wait. Didn't they just say Moses did it? Now this God wasn't even here before. We just made him, but somehow he's the one who brought them up. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That doesn't sound good. So Aaron made a altar, have a proclamation. They're going to do sacrifices. And he makes a declaration. Tomorrow is a feast day. It is not a feast day for Israel. It is a feast day because Aaron set it up as one and said, we will do this. So he has given in to the crowd. He's going after whatever the crowd wants. And these guys are so excited. They rose early on the next day. I bet you not everybody got up early. Willingly. But on this day they did. Oh, we got a feast day. Oh, we got a, we're going to worship a new God. And we're going to carouse around. And they rose up to play. Now, they may not be switching gods, but they at least want an image they can control. In their minds, they may not be switching gods. They may still have the same God. They even said, we're going to have a feast day to the Lord. They may still see themselves as worshiping God, but God says, you don't worship me with these golden calves. You don't worship me with these engraved images. That's now how we do it. You don't just proclaim your own feast days and your own sacrifices. This is not what we do. So they may be, may not be switching gods right now. But they at least want an image they can control instead of a cloud and pillar of fire that they cannot. That's why most people make idols. We want something that we can control. Now, how great a source of supply or protection can a God of your own making be? If you made your own God, how much supply do they have? If you make your own God, how much protection can they offer? You made them. All they can do is have your strength and your supply. Now, for those who saw the bulletin, I know there's a picture of it up on the Facebook page. If you went up there to see it, I put a quote in there. I was listening to an interview that uh, Brother Rick Renner did with uh, Bob Yenyan. And they were talking about the, the the stuff with the virus and things like that. And I liked the one statement that he made. He said, uh, uh, Brother Bob said this, Don't throw away what you know for what you don't. Hmm. He says, because in this, he was, he was talking about the virus stuff and all the things going around. What, what we do know is that Jesus is the healer. Amen. What we do know is that we are redeemed from the curse of the law. What we do know is Psalm 91. We know a lot of things. And I like this point. Don't throw away what you know 
for what you don't know. There's a whole lot of things we don't know about the virus. But don't throw away what you do know for what you don't. These are things we, we need to keep in mind. People are, are playing on the fact that most people don't know too much about viruses and specifically don't know too much about this one and have painted it as a huge monster. They gave us numbers that were incredible if they would ever be true and then days later downgraded them and then days later downgraded them and then days later downgraded them again. I heard somebody say, related it this way, I thought it was a, a great example. If you could do the same thing that the experts are doing with models, and they do this with models for hurricanes, they do this for models with global warming, they do this for models for this, uh, this virus thing. If you could do the same thing, it would be like going into a sports betting place. Maybe you've, uh, we'll just say horses, because this is, this is easy. If you were watching the horses race, and you had your model in your head, which one was going to win. You picked the winning horse, and you went up to the window, and you said, based on my model, I believe that horse number seven is going to win. And you put your money down on there, and as the race is going on, horse number seven falls behind. But horse number four takes the lead. Wouldn't it be great if you could go to the window and say, I've revised my model. (laughs) And instead of horse number seven winning, I now see horse number four winning. Wouldn't it be great if you could just change, change all that? Or if you were in the stock market and you say, I revised my model and I know I bought shares in this company yesterday, but I, I want to change that because my model now says I should have bought them in this company. So can you make that change that effective yesterday that I didn't buy stock in this one? I bought it in this. That's the same thing that they're doing these models, but they get away with it. We can't get away with it in other places in life, but we can get away with it. They can get away with it here, and they create a monster. And they say things, and they get people to think things, cause people to change all of their actions based on models. I like that quote. I put it um, in your bulletin. You can see that in the the picture I put up on it on the the first post I put up this morning. All right, let's go on here, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Now, he said it this, they have corrupted themselves. Even though there were people over there stirring them up, you still had to corrupt yourself. There's something that you had to do. You had to receive that assumption. You had to receive that deception. That had to come into you somehow. And he said, so you did it yourself. Verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. Now look at when he tells Moses about this. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Remember they commanded them and he said, we'll do all this. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it 
and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. When did the children of Israel sacrifice to the idol? That's right at the end, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that God is watching this entire process? He doesn't warn Moses or stop Moses and all the things they're doing when first off the conspiracy begins to be unleashed. When the situation begins to build in the people's minds where it's a crisis, he doesn't speak to Moses about it. When they approach Aaron, and even if her is killed in this, God still doesn't approach Moses about that. He keeps on going with what he's doing. And then when they go and they gather up all their gold and they make the golden calf, he still does not tell Moses about it. He's watching all this, but he doesn't tell Moses about it. He waits until everything is done and they're down there having a party. And now he says to Moses, all right, now you got to get down there. Says him with a bit of an urgency too. Go, get down for your people. <laughs> and then he says in verse 10, Now let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. I am tired of dealing with these guys. I'm going to wipe them all out, and we're going to start all over again. Now regardless of how the people view the calf, God sees it as something separate from himself. He sees it as an idol. He does not see this as worship to him. They may call it what they want to, but this is how God sees it. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? I remind you that you did this and when you did it, you did it with great power and a mighty hand, which I do not have. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them and to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven in all this land that I have spoken have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. I know you're upset. You're looking at what they're doing right now, but think back. Remember Abraham? How much you loved him? Oh yeah, I remember Abraham. He's, he's a good guy. Remember Isaac and Jacob, Israel? So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side, and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing. I hear. See, it seemed Joshua was not all the way up on the mountain and he could hear what was going on. He probably heard the things that started out with the rebellious words that people were saying. 
probably heard the part where they approached Aaron. The commotion of making the, the idol. Probably heard the uprising that had gone on, maybe the Aaron's uh, fight that he put up in which her was killed. Heard the change of the sounds over to the making of the idol and then to the feast day. But he's a man of war. And it's amazing. It shows you how much character that Joshua has. He does not leave his post. Moses said, stay here. And he stayed, even though he felt his calling was down there because they were at war. He stayed. That's a tough thing to do. Boy, could you have blamed Joshua if he vacated, left a little note? Be back soon. A little note from Moses. And if he went down to check things out to see if they needed help. But he didn't do it because Moses said, wait here. And he stayed. Wow, what a guy. Verse 19. So it was as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Remember what started this whole thing? What started this whole thing is the assumption we don't know what happened to Moses. We don't know where he went to. Now Moses shows up. Now put yourself in Moses' shoes here. Have you ever wanted to make a statement to some people that you are around that you are mad? That you are angry at something? And you either want to slam a door or throw something and break it. Not saying anybody here would, 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 would do that, but you can, you can picture relatives, I'm sure, that have uh, <laughs> felt this way. If that person is going to break something, do they do it in private? Don't they want people to see? I'm throwing this thing. I w- if Moses is coming down and he's angry, he is seeing them. They are seeing him. And he throws these things down. The demonstration of how angry he is. He is mad. But he heard what they were doing from God. Now he sees it. You can imagine that. Have you ever heard what people have done, but then when you saw it? Hmm. As soon as he came near the camp, he's near the camp. He saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. If all this started because we didn't know what happened to Moses, when Moses shows up, shouldn't it stop? Shouldn't it? Right there we say, oh, this was a wrong assumption. We were taken into a wrong place. This was a false crisis. There was never any problem with Moses. Who was it who was saying this about Moses being a problem? Moses being dead, maybe. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that? But they're all excited about the way that they're going. They like it. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. I don't know what that would taste like. Burned gold. No idea. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? See, something had to go on. Moses even knows himself. Aaron wouldn't just give in to this. He wouldn't just go this direction. Something happened. And it probably 
her lost his life in it. They may have both been making a stand about doing this. And when Aaron saw them kill her, he decided to go along with whatever it was that they wanted to do. So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. (laughs) Well, that is not necessarily false right there. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire. And this calf came out. (laughs) Poof, it just happened. It just... There it was. I didn't do nothing. They just, we threw it in there and this is what happened. So Moses, now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. So whatever they're doing, they're acting in a, in a very bad way. And Moses sees it and says, Aaron, you, you didn't restrain them. You didn't put any, any, uh, hindrances on them at all. And they're just out here making fools of themselves. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Now, I've always pondered about this, trying to figure this out. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves to him. Whoever is on the Lord's side. How is it? How is it even possible? Twelve tribes in, the, in Israel... Twelve tribes. How is it even possible that one tribe, now there's two, estimates are two to four million people in Israel when they leave, leave, um, in the Exodus. Two to four million people. If you didn't divide that by twelve, let's just take the the low number of two million. If you divide that, just make it easy, divide it by ten, that's, um, uh, two hundred thousand. You, you pull the men of it out of there, you're probably going to come up with a number of somewhere around 50 to 100,000. If you pull the men out. 50 to 100,000. How can you get, that's just the men. Now if you get the whole, the whole tribe, you're looking at a couple hundred thousand. All the tribe of Levi. Not, none of them are the tribe of Judah. None of them are the tribe of Dan. None of them are the tribe of Benjamin. The only ones who come away from the group that is there, if they were even mixed in with it, the only ones are the tribe of Levi. This always puzzled me. Why is it that one tribe, one whole entire tribe, I mean, couldn't you see it? Maybe a hundred from Judah, a couple thousand maybe from, from another, whatever, yeah. Simeon, maybe he's got a couple hundred in there. You know, you, you could see a, a mixed group. How is it that out of 12 tribes all jumbled around, mixed in there, just this one tribe is pulled out. And see, this is how I know that leadership is involved. Because the leaders of the tribe of Judah, the leaders of the tribe of Dan, the leaders of the tribe of Simeon, the leaders of the tribe of Benjamin, you can just keep on naming them all. Those leaders stirred their people in the way of the idol. But it would seem to be that the leaders of the tribe of Levi taught their people differently. They gathered their tribe because they were, they were separated in tribes. Each tribe had their own leaders. And they looked to their leaders, what do you think about this stuff that's going on? There's this big movement here that there's a crisis with Moses being 
gone. And they would come to their leaders and they would say, leaders, what do you, what do you have to say about this crisis? And the leaders would say, it is not a crisis. Moses is just fine. Look up at the mountain. Do you see the cloud? That's the glory of God. That means God is still there. And if God is still up there on the mountain, it means he's still talking to Moses. He's still getting things for us. And when he is finished, Moses will come down. Now this same God, he will go over this with him, the same God who protected you at the Red Sea, the same God who protected you at Passover, the same God who gave you water when we had none, this same God who sent a pillar of cloud to protect you from the heat of the sun and a pillar of fire to protect you at night, this same God who's protected you is now up there with Moses. Do you think that God would harm him in any way? No. No, why would God harm him? God brought him to us. And so the leaders of Levi are teaching their people along this line. And so the, the leaders are teaching the sub-leaders. And the sub-leaders go out and they teach the leaders of families. And the leaders of families go out and they teach the families so that all the tribe of Levi has the truth of what's going on at this crisis on the inside of them. And that's why one entire tribe is pulled out. It's because of the leaders that they had. And they disarmed the crisis in their life by teaching them the truth of the Word of God. By teaching them who their God was. What their God's purpose was for them. So they were ready. And so when all the people began to make sacrifices, when all the people brought their gold, they kept theirs. They did not put their gold in. When all the people began to carouse and, ro- and, and run about, they stayed by themselves apart from all that. And look what Moses says to them. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. He does not say who wants to leave the idol. He wants to know right now who is on God's side. And the entire tribe of Levi, we are still on God's side. We saw through this crisis because our leaders taught us. And we have withdrawn from this group. It gets better. What do you see what they do here? And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. Now, I'm trying to give you low estimates of, of, of men of war. If we only have 50 to 100,000 men in the tribe of Levi, we're not, the women would not be given the sword, the women are not given this, the children are not given this assignment, it is the men of Levi that are given this assignment. Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. 
And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. If you have, and we're trying to go with low estimates here, if you got 50 to 100,000 men with swords who are going through each of the camps, they're going through the camp of Judah, they're going through the camp of Benjamin, they're going through the camp of Simeon, they're going through the camp of Nephtali. Every single camp they're going through. How many would you expect there to be dead? If 50 to 100,000, low estimate, I'm trying to keep them low. If they went through, how many people would you expect to be killed? So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. So here's my question I've always asked about this. Why is this number so low? If Moses just tells them, go out there and start killing people. I want them to pay for what they did. Go out there and start killing some of your brethren. Whoever you want to kill, go out there and kill them. I mean, how many of you can think of some people in the neighborhood might make your list? <laughs> no, no excuses, no trials, nothing. Just go out there and start, start killing some. But only 3,000 are dead. That doesn't seem right, does it? If every man is supposed to take his sword, if every man went out and killed one, the number would be much higher. Why is the number not higher? Here's what the scenario is. What Moses is saying, who is on the Lord's side? I want to know, through all this mess that's going on, who has still stayed with the Lord? And the entire tribe of Levi comes. All right. You guys know who was behind this. Get your swords and take them out. And they went out and they searched through each of the camps. That's why it talks about them going into the camps. Because you see, while all this crisis is being made, they know that certain people started it. Certain people instigated it. Certain people were looking for an opportunity, a crisis, to get away from the God of Jehovah and begin to steer them into some of the gods of the Egyptians, some of the gods that they came from. So Moses is saying this, you've been on the Lord's side, you're all here, you're preserved, it's because the word of God has been in you. You have resisted the words to create the crisis but you know who gave them. So you go out there and you find them. Because Moses doesn't know who they are. He was up in the mountain. But they do. If you are on the Lord's side, doesn't it hurt you when people come against the things of God? Doesn't it bug you? Don't you start, you know, getting dartboards with Katie Couric on the, on the, on the front? Don't we want to get the, you know, Dan Rather up there? And these people who are saying things. These are the old, I don't even know who the new people are in news. There's probably other names that are, that are out there, but. There are people who deliberately 
engage people to try and take them away from the things of God. And when they do, don't you know it? Doesn't it rise up? And you're taking people away from, you're putting fear in people. You are, you are putting idolatry into people. You are, you are killing the innocent, whatever it might be that they're doing. And doesn't it rise up? And you think, man, I'll tell you what, this person over there, hmm. I know they've taken all these other people, but they're, but they're the ringleader. They're the ones. And so these sons of Levi, they're going through the camps and they're looking for. I, I know this one. I know who I'm looking for. And he goes out there and he finds that house. He's not looking for the, all the people of the house. He's looking for the one who spread this stuff to go after idolatry, who spread this lie that Moses was dead, that Moses came into harm, that Moses wasn't coming back, created this crisis. We're going to find them. And so they found 3,000. If you had 3,000 people who wanted to start a crisis like this, couldn't you get 3,000 people to go out into a crowd of 2 to 4 million and infect them with what is wrong and what is not right in the things of God? Corrupt it. Spread that leaven in there. So the sins of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day and Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brothers. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will make atonement for your sin. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a gold, a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore, go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in that day, when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. So here again we see this was a fake crisis created by those who wanted something different. They didn't want what was going on. They don't want to go in the direction that God was leading them. They wanted something different. They probably heard Moses come down from the mountain and heard him speak the commands that God gave and said, this is not the way we want to go. We do not want to have these commands on us. We've got to find a way to get ourselves separate from them. And they created a crisis. What has happened to this Moses? Moses is right where he's supposed to be. See, they saw a situation. They fanned it to a flame to create an atmosphere where change would not only be welcomed, it would be demanded. They fanned the children of Israel to a place they not only welcomed idols, which they just said, before Moses went up on the mountain. We won't ever do that. And now they demanded that idols be made. Can you imagine that a crisis mentality can be created in the minds of people that they would demand things that are not good for them? And this is what they did. 
Moses wasn't delayed. He wasn't in any, any danger at all. He was with the God who loved them and loved the people. They don't want them to remember all the things that God had done. They don't want these, these people who spread this around. They don't want people to remember how God protected them at the Red Sea. How God delivered them with the ten plagues. No, don't remember that. Here we are right now. We need to forget everything else that happened and just look at this. It's kind of like what this doing with this crisis right now. Forget whatever happened with any virus that ever came. Forget swine flu. Forget bird flu. Forget all the tens of thousands that died from those things. Forget all the other things that came around. This one is different. This one it demands change. And right now you have people that are rising up demanding changes that they don't even like. Because a crisis has been created. One entire group of people did not go along with this. They were not able to stop the momentum of the other 11 tribes. I don't know if they tried. I don't know how hard they tried if they did. They probably went out there and tried to combat. But you see, once an assumption is made, deception comes in and you try and come out there. Don't you remember how God, don't you remember? And they probably just resisted it and they said, they're not hearing it. They are not hearing it. And so they eventually just said, we just need to, we're going to stay separate. We're going to stay amongst ourselves. We know that Moses is coming back down. And we want him to know we did not jump in with this crowd. And when Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? Me. That's us. <laughs> We've been waiting for you, Moses. We, we knew you were coming back. We knew it. I've told you this in many, many different situations, but if the urgency does not come from your spirit, it doesn't merit drastic change. You've got to listen to your spirit. There are times when an urgency comes to your spirit demanding drastic change. You can go through the Word of God and you can find times like this. Drastic change was needed. We need to alter what we were doing because of what's what's coming up. Paul found, found that in his life when people came after him. Jesus had people who came after him. And there was a crisis that the Spirit of God came up and said, hey, they're coming to do this. This is not the time. And they showed Jesus, they showed Paul how to avoid it, how to go a different direction. But if you don't get that urgency in your spirit, it doesn't merit drastic change. you got to listen. So the tribe of Levi, they didn't go along with this crisis. They didn't go for this call of action. They stayed away from it. It's not just this crisis. There's going to be other crises we run into. I think they're already planning on how they can do this again. They love how it went so well the first time. We got people to completely alter their work schedules, lose their jobs, get out of school, stay at home. All this stuff has, has worked. Why do we do it the next time? And don't, don't think for a moment I'm saying that if anybody's staying at home that they've uh, given in to the, to the mob. Yeah, you have certain ordinances that have been given out and, and you have to uh, comply with those. Plus, there aren't as many places to go. That's <laughs> just theirs as well. That's got, that kind of stuff has, has happened. So don't think that for, for a moment. Uh, the children of Levi, they still were around. All this idolatry is going on. They were still there where they were supposed to be watching this stuff happen. They just didn't partake of it. 
So you can you can still be at home doing the things you're supposed to do because they say don't go out in the roads and don't do this or whatever they be, might be saying in your area. And that's fine. But just don't in your own self. Father God, I am not going to give in to this crisis. I am not going to receive this urgency that they're trying to tell me because you have not told me that there's an urgency. Now when I say all that, I don't mean to say that you know no one's going to die from this thing or, or any, uh, any such stuff like that. But if this truly was the crisis that they say that it was, then why did Congress insist on trying to put so many extra things on the bill to help the people who were affected? Why was it so important to try and change the way votes are going? Why was it so important to fund opera houses? Why was it so important to give the members of Congress a pay raise on the same bill? And the list could go on. I know they took a lot of the things out of it, but there was still a lot that was left in there. If it was so much of a crisis, then why couldn't it stand by itself and just pass what we needed for that? Why was that not the problem? But that's not what we, that's not what we had done. If it is such a crisis, why were the numbers, the, the numbers have to be so inflated? If what was going to happen was a big crisis, then the numbers that are true would be fine. Why is it that now hospitals, and this is the, by the, one of the, the heads up in this, in this country, not other countries. Well, I forget her name, but I heard her giving the report and was even saying, if anyone has the coronavirus and dies of any other thing, heart disease, kidney disease, the coronavirus is what is listed as the cause of death. No matter what else they have. Doesn't matter if the coronavirus killed them or not. Why do we have to pad the numbers if the crisis is so great? And why is it? that I don't understand this one at all. If Everyone wants to say it's because of all the isolation, everybody's staying at home, that's why it's not going to be so bad. Then why are the countries who didn't do this, why are they not having the same problem or a huge problem? Why is Sweden, who went about life the way that they had gone on before, they told the older people and the younger people to stay home, but everybody else is going to work? How come their numbers are not so highly inflated? But you see, you can't come at them with logic on that. Now, you are going to be victim to some of the things that they're going to do in this, and that's fine. Just don't accept their assumptions. Because if you accept their assumptions, their deception will come in. Don't give that. Don't, don't give it a room. We can stand. But virus is not why we're looking at this passage for today. The whole idea is we've been on assumptions. Whatever I allow into my life through an assumption, the deception that follows is something I have opened myself to. And that deception does not go away easy. Israel does not lose these golden calves very easily. We see them keep popping up in their history. There's a reason. Because of the assumption that was taken. It was not dealt with. It brought along a deception. Every assumption you make about another person, every assumption that you make about the things of God, every assumption that you make in life will bring along a deception. That deception will bind you up and blind you to the truth that would set you free. You've got to release the assumption. That's why we have to always stay teachable. 
The devil loves pride because if he can get pride into my life, I will resist any teaching that goes against my assumption. You think back in the days of old when we made the assumption, how many people made the assumption that the world was flat? Why? Because if you went out on the beach somewhere and you looked out over the ocean, you saw the edge. And if you went sailed out that way, you'd fall over the edge. It was an assumption. It wasn't based on fact. It was an assumption. And anybody who came against that, their writings were burned. They were burned. They were killed. The church at the time came against them. It was, it was incredible what would come against these, these folks. And that's not science. There's a whole lot of things going on in our world that are not science. I don't, I don't know if you like to, to, I love things in the, in the stars. Absolutely love things in the stars. And I love reading articles on my Facebook feed. I get stuff that probably a lot of people don't get that, that all deals with some of the spacecraft we have out there and some of the discoveries that are being made. And whenever I find one, I always uh, bookmark it. I send it over to, to Chrome. I'm going to read that later on. And when I'm sitting down watching TV, I read some of these things and look at them. But I saw this article. How many remember Voyager 1 and Voyager 2? Anybody remember those? Well, there's been a whole lot going on about these guys uh, of late. And they were expected to last maybe five years. They built them to last maybe five years. I think we're now on 40 they're still going. And they're still sending back data. And so since they saw they were still going, they had the idea to, to uh, send them out to an area. And this is all theory. Every bit of it is theory. And there are, there are some assumptions or presumptions, like maybe, maybe better. They, we don't know what goes out beyond our sun. So our sun has a, has a sphere of influence. And so I am amazed absolutely amazed that scientists studied through telescopes here on the earth or of course the Hubble they used these things and they studied and they came up with theories of what would happen when you got outside of the sphere of the sun anybody ever seen anything like that what would happen and so they had all these theories about solar winds and how the solar winds were affecting in the area of where the sun was, but that once you got out of the solar wind area, that they had these other cosmetic rays that would come along, and they would uh, they would have an effect too. And so they were getting excited. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, they're still going. We can send them into that area of space. And we can see if what we think should happen actually does. Now, see, to me, this is science because you have plugged in all the data that you can and you came up with an idea of what might happen, but you were open to the possibility of being wrong. So they sent them out there. Do some looking up if you want to do some stuff. You can read some of the stuff on Voyager 1, Voyager 2 and see what's going on with them. But they found out that it was exactly as they thought it would be. I was amazed. They, they guessed right where the sun's influence ended. They guessed it. 
And right around here is where we expected to end. And it did. And what they expected to pick up outside of the sun's area, it did. I'm, I'm looking at that and saying, this is, this is science. That stuff with global warming, that's not science. This is science. I mean, wow. That was spot on. So if you ever want some fun reading, that's, uh, that's science. But you see, that's where you make a presumption that I think this is true, but I'm open to the possibility that it might not be. That's how we have to be when we get in areas that I don't know about. Because sometimes, I'm not sure, God, I'm not sure what happens out here, but I think it might be this, but you stay listening for God to tell you something different. All right, now you're out here. Now you see, it's not the way you thought. It's this way. I see that. Oh, I like this. And you just receive that. You don't receive the deception. You don't receive the darkness. But they did. They received this darkness. Because they received this darkness, they continually had problems following after the things of God. Because they would grab hold of these assumptions. They would grab hold of the deception that came along with it. And they would not walk in the light of what God said. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you that you help us. That if we have brought an assumption into our life about other people. An assumption about how things operate in the spirit realm. An assumption about your word. An assumption in any way that, Father, we stay open to you bringing clarity and helping us out with that. Because there is no assumption we can take on in our life that will not also bring along deception to keep us from the truth. Just as the children of Israel made an assumption that something happened with Moses and they made a crisis out of it. And that crisis caused their minds to be open to anything, including going against the very words they spoke just days earlier. It's amazing how quickly these things can change in us. But Father, your light comes along and you want to expose all the deception, expose all the assumptions that we have going on and bring us into a place of freedom. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.